Bright Suns, you're now listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast on the No One Is Listening Podcast Network. Punch it, Chewie! What have we here? Hello there. Morning, Senator. Greetings, my son. This is so wizard. We are the ones who guard the power. We are the middle. The beginning. <laughs> Conversation with the Star Wars friends on social media at SW Friends Show. That's at SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the Star Wars friends at show at starwarsfriends.com if you have a comment or question you want us to read live on the show. Now, here are your hosts, the Star Wars friends! Hey, what's happening, boys and girls of the internet world? My name is Christopher Marinin, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast on the No One Is Listening Podcast Network. And joining me on this wonderful, spectacular, beautiful summer evening are my Star Wars friends. This is Josh, and I have to say I'm very embarrassed to say that my Star Wars Atlas is in my storage unit right now, and I've never been more disappointed in myself. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. Oh, sorry. Justin's not here. Justin's so not this on today's show. Kyle. <laughs> and I actually brought my visual dictionary and character encyclopedia in case there's a signing at the end of the podcast. <laughs> well played. And this is Maggie. And I'm so sad that my Last Jedi novelization is also in storage right now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's all right. Chumps. You know, hey, listen, this is. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. This We're all is. Just coming clean here. Yeah, hey. <laughs> This is the place to do it. So I am absolutely thrilled. These are some of my favorite episodes to do. We get to discover a voice, a, a very prolific voice in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, I, I don't even. I just want to cut right to it. This is a. This is going to be a crazy, awesome interview with established, prolific, amazing Star Wars authority author Jason Fry. Jason, welcome to the Star Wars Friends podcast. Glad to have you on today. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. I hope I can live up to that totally unearned introduction, but let's see how we do. <laughs> I would not even say that. Uh, no, man, you are you are incredible. We kind of we brought you up on a podcast maybe uh, maybe a month ago at this point, and it was a pipe dream to have the opportunity to interview you. And after we cut that podcast, we're like, man, we really should try to get Jason on the show. And thanks to Maggie, uh, she hooked this up. So this is awesome. Thank you for being on the show today. Uh, you, to me personally, I, you know, you're an author. You are an established authority in Star Wars that I've read and looked up to, and I definitely respect everything that you stand for and what you've done. So yeah, to have you on the show today, I'm geeking out a little bit for sure. <laughs> uh, so this is pretty cool. So thank you for being here. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so I want to a. I just want to ask you, how are you holding up in the COVID era? Like, are you okay? Everything all right? Family, friends, everything, everything going well? We're in week 17 of this thing. How are you holding up? 
well, thanks for asking. We're doing okay. Um, the my kid is the only kid in North America, as far as I can tell, who actually has a summer job, which I'm very wow. happy <laughs> for him about. Um, the, the weirdest thing for me has been that, you know, in theory, this isn't that different from my normal life. I sit in my basement and type. Um, but, you know, of, of course, it is different. So I've actually I was like, ah, I've got a, a, a book I was going to write. And great. I got all the time in the world to do it. But uh, yeah, it's been surprisingly difficult. Just, you know, kind of COVID brain and keeping your focus and things mm-hmm. like that, uh, which is a shame. But um no, but you know we've we've come through okay, and just came back from our daily sanity walk in Brooklyn Bridge Park, which is lovely, and nice. uh, you know maybe watch a movie later on in a couple weeks. Baseball, though, right? I sort of have a feeling it's not going to happen, but if it does, that'd be great. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, you know. Well, welcome to the science fiction world. We're all suddenly living in a. Uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. right? You no, know, oh. in a kind of weird slow motion dystopia, and you just do the best you can. The yeah. slowest happening apocalypse ever. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And, you know, before we get into Star Wars, obviously we're called the Star Wars Friends Podcast. We're here to talk Star Wars. Uh, I am happy that you are a, a, a very vocal baseball fan and uh, a writer on baseball. You're a Mets fan. Um, I am, I'm located in Cleveland. I've been a lifelong Indians fan, but I love baseball. I love baseball and Star Wars. And it always fascinates me when you find other people that, that I mean, they are so abstract. They're so far apart, uh, whether it's, you know, hockey or football or whatever. I, I love the fact that you are a baseball writer. You're, you're a baseball enthusiast. And I actually wanted to ask your thoughts on whether or not you thought the season was going to happen because we're all up here chomping at the bit, ready to see Francisco Lindor and, you know, all the, all the stars um, come out and play. But at the same time, there's a lot of responsibility that goes along with this. And, um, you know, obviously all the COVID tests that are coming back positive and things. Do you think that the season's actually going to take place? I yeah, I think they're certainly going to try. Um, I mean, talking about your uh, the slow motion apocalypse, uh, as it was put. You know, one of the the super strange things about this is that I simultaneously think that playing baseball in 2020 is a terrible idea, and I'm desperately hoping it happens. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm trying to keep those two ideas in my in my head at the same time is is quite something. But. Um, yeah, no, the the Star Wars baseball event diagram is always interesting to me. I've tried to bridge that for years. I'm like, you know, one drama is unscripted <laughs> and epic, and the other drama is scripted and epic. And, right. You know, my favorite thing is the, um, you know, my my uh, baseball fan friends who are like, the people dress up as like Wookies and stuff. That's weird, man. <laughs> You're right. And I'm like. You're wearing half of a right now. Met costume. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, you're kind of, you know, kind of going halfway on the cosplay. So just, you know, there's so much more that unites these two groups than divides us. So, uh, and they're I both tried, very but, vocal and very vocal. Yeah. Very, very vocal. <laughs> Lots to fight about, even when we should remember that we're all in it together. Um, right. But well, yeah, I'm always like, there's some, there's a lot more in common here than we think. So I, I try to bring people from one side to the other. Awesome. So, so as a, as a sports fan and someone who has written pretty extensively on the clone wars, have you ever uh, gotten a chance to debate sports teams with Dave Filoni? I know he's a pretty big, uh, <laughs> yeah, big sports Pittsburgh fan, fan too. Big Pittsburgh fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Goldie, the R2 unit in the Steeler yes. colors. Yeah. And yeah. All yeah. That. 
Yeah, no, the funny thing is I did a lot of Clone Wars guidebooks um, back in the day. And like, and that means you get to make up a whole lot of clone trooper numbers. Yeah, there's the character encyclopedia being held up. Love it. Um, you get to make up a whole lot of clone trooper numbers. And all of mine were invariably incredibly dorky Mets references. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's love great. It. I was like, do I footnote them? Does anyone at Lucasfilm actually care? Yeah. You know, so, uh, yeah. Love it. Oh, I awesome. love that detail. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, you know, we'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, I hope that they are responsible with whatever they do. We, we will see our team up in Cleveland. They are, you know, they're practicing in the ballpark. I'm just, you know, Terry Francona, our coach, is like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't see that this is actually going to happen. We'll see. But fingers crossed for all those baseball fans. I need baseball. By this time in the season, I don't know about you, Jason. I've been to multiple games at this point. I've enjoyed uh, a lot of hot dogs with my friends and, you know, really having a blast. So this is the first year in my life that I haven't, you know, we haven't been to baseball games by July. It's nuts. So we'll see. Fingers crossed on that. All right. Let's shift gears to Star Wars. Now, Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars. Yeah. So, you know, that thing. Uh, One of the fascinating things that we get to learn about our guests is their origin stories. I, I am always fascinated by how someone has discovered Star Wars, whether it's, you know, we all have common bonds. We have common threads on how we discovered it, how we've developed our love. But there is always something unique about somebody's story of how they a, either first learned about it or their first experience in a theater. What is Jason Fry's origin story with Star Wars? How did you get into it? Well, I'm 51. So I actually date back to a world without Star Wars. Um, mm. and uh, Sounds terrible. Yeah, yeah, it was. We basically we didn't know Do yet. We kind of sat around waiting for someone to invent Star Wars. But um, so <laughs> you know, I was eight years old, and this movie came out, and it was something I had never seen before. Just everyone I knew was going to this movie and loved this movie and was talking about this movie. It was not just kids, but it was your neighbors, it was people's parents, people's grandparents, and it was just this phenomenon. And I had already become pretty interested in telling stories and trying to figure out how they how they work and um but i had never known there'd be there were stories like that that were super exciting but also had these depths to them like there was it was clear there was a whole lot more going on in star wars it was good and evil and family legacies and you know all this stuff that i didn't know explicitly as an eight-year-old but you know, even at eight, you've you've consumed a lot of stories. You have a better sense of how they work than you may think you do. And so I can literally say it changed my life. But suddenly I wanted to write stories like that. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. just kind of went from there. Um, it has a the, there's a really funny sequel down the line, though. Um, I was hired to write uh, Weapon of a Jedi, uh, which was part of the Force Awakens publishing program. Yeah. And they uh, every project is is different but for that one they had the basic story already and then i was gonna uh play some notes on it fill it in take it in some different directions and they were like okay so luke and the droids are on this jungle planet looking for a jedi temple and i started to laugh and um you know the the creative director mike mike siblain was he was kind of like what, what's funny, you know, do, do you want to do this? And I was like, oh, yeah, I absolutely want to do it. But what's funny is when I started collecting the original Kenner action figures back in the day, and they had the first 12, like I 
went through this crazy amount of work in my mind. I was like, I could afford three at the beginning. Yeah. I was like, what three am I going to get? And I went crazy about this. And I got Luke and the droids. But then I didn't, I didn't have any villains. So there was no one to like go after them. They didn't have Darth Vader or any stormtroopers. So it was just them. So until I could save up enough allowance to buy some villains, like Luke and the droids explored all these like jungle planets made awesome. out of couch cushions mm. and Lego. And they were constantly looking for Jedi temples. And I was like, yeah, I can totally write that story. I, wow. I, I wrote it 40 times. In <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, let's go. I love that. I love that. So when you, okay, so you saw Star Wars and, and it pushed you into a new realm of storytelling, whether it was, we call it headcanon now or what have you. Is it, how did you then venture? How did you make that next leap as you grew into a young adult and then into adult? How did you get into writing? You know, was it, was it a passion that you had after Star Wars and you, you got, obviously, you have a very, outside of Star Wars, you have a pretty diverse uh, writing portfolio behind you. Yeah. I was impressed to, to really read through your, your bibliography. It's, it's really, really diverse. So um, you are, you're a journalist, you know, as well. And that's what I went to, to school for is, is television, radio journalism. But it's, yeah. yeah, I mean, it takes a different type of writing style. So mm -hmm. can, you, can you let us know and our, and our listeners know how you got into writing uh, proper. Sure. Um, I always wanted to be a, I really wanted to be a fiction writer. And, you know, my first year out of college, I wrote this, this kind of big literary novel, which is the kind of thing that doesn't scare you as much as it probably should when you're trying to. <laughs> and right. it never got published. It's actually pretty good, but it's, I look back on it now and I'm glad I wrote it, but also kind of not who I am anymore, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I get but, that. Yeah. Um, but so, I wanted, but really I just, I wanted to write for a living and I tried that way and wasn't an instant sensation and was like, oh, I need to do something else. And journalism was a way that I could tell stories and get paid to do it. Yeah. And it never mattered to me whether something was nonfiction, fiction, you know, poetry, screenplays, whatever. As long as I could write, I was happy. And the other part of journalism I really loved was if I was curious about something, you know, you can call people up and ask them questions about what they do or what happened. And yeah. you know, most of the time they'll answer you. And so, yeah, so I went into, into journalism as a way to pay the bills. And plus, I, I genuinely loved it and um, worked for the Wall Street Journal on the online side for more than a decade. But yeah. I never stopped being a Star Wars fan. And so that was kind of my hobby on the side. and. I got to know Dan Wallace, my Essential Atlas co-author, who's written a billion amazing books uh, through the the old America Online message boards. Wow! Wow! Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. a little Star Wars hangout where a lot of people who you know stayed in the fandom for a long time uh, kind of got their their start. Yeah, and. Um, I just looked for a way to do anything, and eventually I got a gig. Uh, as the book columnist for the Star Wars Insider, um, wow. which was a, a lot of fun in multiple ways. Um, one of the ones I didn't quite understand at first that was really valuable was it was also a great apprenticeship. Like once a month, I would call up, uh, you know, Tim Zahn or 
you know, whoever had the new book coming out and I would just chat with them about their book and then about writing and how they did what they did. So uh, it was a really great way to pick a whole lot of fellow authors brains and and learn Mm -hmm. a whole lot. And I just kept going. I did RPG stuff. Um, I did nonfiction lore. I did, I did fiction, whatever it was, if it was, if it was star Wars, I was really happy doing it. And, and I just never stopped. That's wild. Yeah. I did see the wizards, uh, wizards on the coast, uh, bibliography you had. So, uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Very cool. So this is, you know, you're kind of, we, we consider ourselves a book podcast because we celebrate all the, the books, whether it be expanded universe, current canon, what, what have you. Uh, you know, I, I come from the novel generation. I was born in between Return of the Jedi and Phantom Menace, um, you know, mid-80s. So I grew up with the books. That's what I know. And we've talked yeah. about this extensively on our show. We, we love the books. And what you're talking about, having the ability as a young man to call up, you know, someone like Timothy Zahn and just pick his brain, like that is a, a dream, you know, for, for most people. And one of my questions I had, you know, was going to be along those lines of what were those Star Wars books that you read, you know, when before you actually got to pen your first Star Wars story, what were the books that spoke out to you the most? Uh, I go way back. Um, I really loved the Brian Daly Han Solo books. Yes. yes. Yeah. The best. <laughs> oh, they're so wonderful. And they're wonderful in, in, in so many ways that they, I mean, first of all, they're funny. That's mm-hmm. one thing I think Star Wars sometimes forgets to be funny. Like the movies are funny. The books should be funny too. Yes. Um, they, they're also, they're, they're not these huge doorstops. Like it's great to have a wonderful long book, et cetera. But you know, sometimes you, you want something you can read in like three hours or an afternoon. Right. Um, and they're, they're, they also, I think, I think Brian Daly's Han Solo is one of the best depictions of the character in Star Wars period. Um, I agree. In the movies. Yeah. In, in yeah. anything. And it's just, it's a wonderful portrait of him. And, I love the way Daly gets that he always does the right thing, but after kind of exhausting every other possibility. <laughs> and so, you know, you and Chewie and everyone else are like, come on, Han, just around. <laughs> do the right thing. That's the chase you. here. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I love those. And yeah, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, Expanded Universe versus Canon. Like, Han Solo at Star's End is still my favorite Star Wars book. Awesome. And, you know, the fact that, you know, the expanded, that, that uh, Disney made the decision it made with the expanded universe doesn't change that one bit. Why, why should it? Right. Yeah. And we, we, we really love the expanding universe on here. I mean, so much. And especially Josh and I, we, we are huge expanded universe nerds. I mean, really and proud, proud I'm to be a purist. Too. Well, yeah. Hello. Maggie, Maggie is a K, uh, Cade Skywalker, uh, diehard for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> for sure. We, uh, we love it. We love it. And we were just talking, uh, prior to the show today about, you know, the existence of the expanding universe and, uh, you know, it exists for us. It's a, it's a real mm-hmm. thing, whether or not, you know, we, you know, wh- whatever you want to interject the Disney timeline, that's fine. We love these books and we're going to continue to read these books. I read that Han Solo trilogy, the AC Crispin tr- trilogy, like once every other year now. And, uh, I really think it's a fascinating story, all of them. And, uh, I, you know, you, you having the opportunity to get into it, you know, at, at the time that you did is fascinating to me, um, really. So with that kind of moving into the direction, you know, how did you, 
How did you come about writing for Star Wars? You know, was it through Insider? Obviously, you did the, you know, the book reports. But then when you actually got to pen your first official fiction story for Star Wars, how did that come about? I just would take anything they would let me do. And, <laughs> you know, because of my journalism background, I think I was well set up for that. I mean, I... it never mattered to me. It doesn't matter now if they wanted a lore book, like say Clone Wars visual guide or um, some of those other great DK books or the essential Atlas or, you know, galactic explorers guide, or if they wanted fiction, whether it was a short story, um, whether it was, you know, a a young adult novel, whether it was novelization, like, you know, that I've always been happy switching gears in that way. Um, And, you know, also when you wind up juggling, multiple projects in a great way that lets you kind of, you know, use one to spin up the other. You can kind of stay energized by getting to do something that's really different, um, uses kind of different writing muscles. So yeah, I just, I kept going and, you know, the RPG stuff was a little bit of filling out the lore and then telling, uh, tales and, you know, uh, insider short stories were a great vehicle to do fiction. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the the odd book of mine where you can really see the only time I think it was attention was um, Essential Guide to Warfare. Um, that book is filled with little vignettes and kind of kind of bite sized stories. And uh, poor Eric Schernweis of Delray, who was the, the editor on that, you know, he I really put him through the ringer as a writer because you know what I didn't realize at the time was I was really just kind of busting out to write fiction. Right, And so I was trying to kind of cram all these square fiction blocks into this sort of round peg of a uh, lore book project. And I think it mostly works. But looking back at that now, I'm like, I'm like, oh, boy, did you really want to write fiction at this point? Didn't you? <laughs> That's great. So, you know, we I, we have a ton of questions that kind of dive into some of your more, um, you know, particular projects. But before we get into those, I, I do want to explore more of your origins and kind of sure. learn who Jason Fry, the Star Wars fan, is. What makes you you and what gave you your voice? Um, what what kind of came up to this point? So looking back at, you know, with your youth, you know, you're eight years old, you, you're getting exposed to this incredible story. Um you know, now as a 51 year old man, you're looking back across this entire life that you've had with Star Wars. What are your, you know, what's your favorite movie? What's your go to? What is the movie that speaks to you uh, in a profound way? What to help develop your voice? Oh, it's it's got to be Empire, which is probably what mm. every 51 year old yeah. dude says, unfortunately. And what a bunch of the 30 year olds say too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Yeah. Bless you. Um, but, I think, I mean, Empire is extraordinary in in so many ways. I mean, the original Star Wars is, I mean, it's amazing. And, but Empire took this really fun Flash Gordon story, um, which, you know, was more than enough. But it took this fun Flash Gordon story and it, it kind of plumbed all the depths it had. And it's what made the saga a saga. Yeah. Um, When you came came out of Empire, everything was different. Um, both in, in terms of, of Luke and, and Vader, obviously, but the rebellion, um, in the sense of where the story might go, what you were worried about, what you wanted to know about the past, like it kind of exploded everything in every possible, um, dimension, uh, moving to the past, moving forward. 
And, you know, Star Wars was just utterly different after that. And the thing I think gets lost from uh, now that it's so far after that movie is just how unbelievably risky that was. Yeah. I mean, absolutely safe thing was Star Wars 2. You know, it's a, sure. another fun adventure and, you know, Darth Vader comes and they defeat him and, you know, not, you know, not that much happens, but you're ready for another adventure. Like that was the safe play, but they didn't do that. They yeah. just exploded that whole story out into this kind of amazing epic. And if that movie hadn't worked, it would have looked just ridiculous. Like, why did they take this cool, fun story and turn it into this big mess? But yeah. instead it became this gigantic phenomenon that mm-hmm. we're still talking about all these years later. Yeah. Yeah. The one thing I as a as a fan who didn't live through it that I can't I can't wrap my head around is what it would be like to see that movie in nineteen eighty mm. and then have to wait three years to know what <laughs> happens after. For sure. Oh, while. It was insane. It was <laughs> it was nuts. I was, you're like, you kidding me? Um the sad thing for me was I was 11 when Empire came out and I was 14 when Jedi came out and 11 and 14, you're very different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I did not like the Ewoks. This oh, was no. huge <laughs> like Star Wars was gritty and it was about, no, it, you know, it had to have stakes and mean things, et cetera. And, you know, th- there's still things about Jedi that I don't think work particularly well, but I also now see you know, that lens, I was like determined not to have fun. Yeah. Cause I was 15 <laughs> yeah. and had to be like, all like a cool 14 year old. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's amazing watching people, um, wherever they are in the saga who have gone through that same kind of jump yeah. and suddenly see things very differently. And I'm like, well, yeah, you know, we're the ones who suddenly got different. Yeah. 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 My nephew, he uh, he was a similar similar story with the sequel trilogy. You know, he was on board from Last Jedi to you know, and then he, he you know that we had the two year span, but it was two years enough to where he's like, yeah, I don't know, like I'm I'm kind of over it. Like you know, it was funny that you said that because yeah. I've seen that in my own family. So that's now looking back, does Jedi have the payoff for you? Are were you were you sad? Are you satisfied now with Ewoks? Are you cool with them? Are <laughs> you know, how do you feel now? Jedi is really interesting, and I'll probably get myself in trouble, but oh well, that's good. That's good fodder. Um, I find it really interesting to look at Jedi having seen Rise of Skywalker now. Um, Like with Jedi, certainly at the time, and in retrospect, I still mostly feel this way. I think, I mean, there's some frankly lazy performances in Jedi. There's some lazy writing. Yes. Um, there's some things not thought through. The directing, I think it's gets really paint by numbers sometimes. Yes. Um, like that scene of Luke looking back and forth from Vader's mm-hmm. stump to his mm-hmm. own hand. And you just, you don't need it. You get it. Right. Um, yeah. And so in a funny way, like a lot of that stuff still doesn't work for me. And I see what annoyed me as a, you know, hard and tough 14 year old. And I'm like, well, I wasn't wrong about that really. But at the same time, the themes of Jedi are rock solid. Yeah. And everything we think about, about Star Wars, about redemption, about forgiveness, about mercy, about not fighting and things like that, like, you know, which are, I think some of the core values of the saga, like those don't come from empire. They come from Jedi. 
Yeah. And Jedi really executes all of those flawlessly. And I find that I that's that's really interesting. And the reason I brought up Rise of Skywalker is I think, you know, Rise of Skywalker, I think, is really well directed. I think it's a beautiful movie. I think the performances are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the thematic stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. land for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. And so in a weird way, it feels like and it feels like an invoice of how I thought about Jedi. I, I find that interesting. I keep thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we're we're you know we we've we've had our various opinions about Rise of Skywalker. I've been very <laughs> Still uh, to well, everyone does. Yeah, yeah, I've been very yes. vocal on this show that you know controversial or not. I thought the the yeah. the trilogy ended with Return of the Jedi. You know, and this is all just kind of a dream at this point. But uh, you know, it is. Um, I, I you know Return of the Jedi to me that outside of Empire, I think Return of the Jedi is my my second go to movie that I'll just put on on a cold winter night or you know I'm just yeah. bored. I, it's it's just one of those. It's it's a popcorn movie, but it's interesting. You laid out the themes of, of star Wars and you're right. Mm-hmm. I never, you know, we, we talk so much. I mean, we talk star Wars all day, every day. Yeah. It's just like, sometimes you miss some of the bigger picture stuff. And that's pretty, that's pretty uh, eloquent the way that you threw that out there. Now you're a writer, duh. Uh, so obviously <laughs> um, you, you're a wordsmith. I want to know um, what is Jason Fry's favorite star Wars quote? This is, there's so much to choose from. What is the one you go back to or the one that you reference, um, you know, from time to time? You can do top three if you need to. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm so terrible at these things. I always, you know, when I'm asked this and when I'm asked this, I'm always immediately like, I can't remember a single word of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Star Wars never knew her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Live long and pro- uh, <laughs> You know, it, it's got to be the um, the I love you, I know exchange. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, and that's 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 what I mean about Star Wars being funny. And you know that there's a great moment in um, a really unfortunately hard to find book, Once Upon a Galaxy, Journal of the Making of Empire Strikes Back oh, yeah. by oh, yeah. Alan Arnold. Yeah, I got that one. It yeah. Is, oh, it's an incredible book. If yeah. um, I tell people all the time, if you see it in a used bookstore, buy it because yes. you won't yeah. see it again. But yes. yeah. You know, Alan Arnold was this this basically Fox publicist, but I mean, apparently nobody sent him a memo or he didn't get it because it's really is this warts and all all look at the making of this movie that's really frank and direct and delves into things. And it's just fascinating. Um, And, you know, and such an amazing book compared to these sort of, you know, approved massage making of books that we get too often today. Yes. But he talks about that moment and, you know, and everybody kind of fighting over that moment. And Harrison Ford basically improvised it. And it sh- it's kind of a microcosm of empire. It shouldn't work. You shouldn't have a, a laugh beat right in that moment. Like, are you kidding me? Like, everything <laughs> is coming down to this. It's this huge emotional moment. But it does work. It's this unexpected release for the audience. And you know, and then they snap back to the situation on screen and everything gets very serious again. So I don't know that. I mean, there's so many, uh, um, but I really, I admire that one just for, you know, as always with empire, just for the, the chutzpah, the cojones. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. 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 That way, make it work. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, we, uh, I got to ask this question on behalf of our diehard star Wars friends. This is kind of an insider thing, but not really. If you're, if you're a, super star wars fan you know this will make sense you're a cool 14 year old return of the jedi you're like yeah i'm cool on ewoks did you watch the battle for endor uh or caravan of courage at 
shows, the movies at home when you were 15, 16 years old? Or did you just skip oh, those? Of course. I mean, there was, gosh, there was, there was so little Star Wars then. Right. Um, we had, you know, you had, as you, as you, as you guys noted, you had a movie every three years. Um, and then nothing after 83, you had a monthly comic book series from Marvel, which I would devour. Yeah. Um, you had the holiday special, which we already knew you kind of weren't supposed to talk about because <laughs> Because it was really bad, and you also sort of knew everybody hated it. Yeah. Um, and then you had um, there was the newspaper comic. Oh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I never got to read that because it was um, it only ran in Newsday, and my folks just got the New York Times, and so I never got to read that. It never occurred to me to say like, could we subscribe to Newsday so I could read the Star Wars comic? Because I bet they would have. Um, so I missed that one, and then you know, very occasionally a book would come out. Um, and, you know, we were talking about Tim Zahn. It reminded me, the, the very end of that era was actually kind of 1991. I mean, it was still mm. internet. I remember I was working as a, I was a newspaper intern in Fresno, California. And I walked into the Walden books in the mall oh, just yeah. to look at books, because that's what I love to do. And just came to this stop. Some, some poor lady, like, plowed into me from behind because I had slammed to a halt in the front of the bookstore. And I stopped because there on the new releases table was this book, Heir to the Empire by Timothy mm. Zahn. And I'd had no idea a Star Wars book was coming out. And awesome. I, I, I thought like it wasn't real. I actually like picked it up and <laughs> thought I would like wake up in the little efficiency apartment in Fresno and be like, oh no. <laughs> and there it was, like a Star Wars book. I was just amazed and like, and you know. what a book. Yeah, bought it, ran home, devoured it. But I mean, it was like that. So yeah, I watched the Ewok movies. It was Star Wars. There just wasn't that much of it. Anything you got, you took. And this is just such a golden age for Star Wars. I mean, if you could have told, you know, my younger self, we'd get you know multiple comic series and books, right? Video games and live action TV series, TV show. Yeah, Yeah. A, a a Star Wars TV show, really? Yeah. And I I'm think, like, oh my goodness, how do I get to live in this world? Right, and that's what people. I think a lot of people miss the point on that. How lucky we are, and we do everything we can to embrace that, you know, and, and yeah. kind of see the the positive behind it. It is, you know, we devour everything too, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why we have so many voices on our show because each one of us like different things and we bring different things to the table. And, and if uh, something's not for you, there's going to be something soon coming your way that hopefully is yeah. to your liking. Exactly. So, yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's such a great era for Star Wars. I feel so lucky to be a fan of it, let alone, you know, get to tell some stories. Of it. It's awesome. Hello it's awesome. there, Star Wars friends. It's Josh, your favorite Star Wars friend and resident John Williams one percenter. Do you want to be a John Williams one percenter like me? Well, here's a piece of John Williams trivia to help you show off your elite status those around you. Not only has John won countless awards and accolades, Oscars, Grammys, etc., but the apple does not fall too far from the tree either. His son, Joseph Williams, is the lead singer of the Grammy Award-winning band Toto. Make sure to stay on target and listen to the Star Wars Friends podcast every week for more John Williams content. Moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide you towards salvation. Hello there. 
I'm Obi Wan Kenobi. Uh, hey, hey, Obi Wan. Um, you good there? You good there, bud? What do you mean, my friend? I'm, I'm, I'm just introducing myself in the Star Wars Friends podcast. Well, yeah, but um, you do know that you're me, and and, and I'm you. How do you mean, my friend? Well, you know, I'm I'm voice acting you. Your voice, you kind of live up in my head. Right, but I'm Master Obi Wan. Can you just let him do his bit? Like, I, I don't think you see what he's trying to do here. Like, what he's telling you is that you live in a space in this kid's brain, this little 18-year-old's brain, and you're not actually real. I, I fail to see how that's the reality, Anakin. Frankly, I'm I'm confused. Well, well yeah, Obi-Wan, I, I get that you're confused. Can, can we just cut to the... Uh, no, no, my friend, I need to figure this out. By the end of this podcast, I will have figured out who I am, what I want, what I'm going to do. R- right, no, no, I, I, I get it. I do. Um, I, I just think you're kind of dragging this little section on like a long time, probably longer than the Star Wars Friends podcast wants it to go. Well, d- do, do look, I, 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 Obi-Wan, you're confused. I get it. These are confusing times. Unprecedented, maybe. I'm sure you've heard that word before, and you'll probably hear it a billion more times. Master Obi-Wan, I think what he's trying to say is that you should just be happy to be here on the Star Wars Friends podcast. It's a good day to be a Star Wars friend. Can we just, like, move on, please? Well, uh, all right, Anakin. I, I suppose that would be a, a good idea. <laughs> hey, I'm Kevin Cabral, and you're watching the Star Wars Friends show. Happy to be a Star Wars friend. We hope you're enjoying this interview with author Jason Fry on the Star Wars Friends. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. Now, the Marvel comics, just a side question. Sure. When you read those uh, and kind of held them up against the movies and, and what you knew. How were your feelings on that? Were you, were you confused? Were you kind of like, Hey, this isn't actually this, none of this links up with, you know, outside of the first, however, 10 ep- or 10 issues of the original Marvel run. How did you, how did you feel about that as a young person? Uh, do you remember that having that kind of like, Hey, this does, this doesn't make sense. Did you ever have those thoughts? A little bit. I mostly got swept up in it. Um, Archie Goodwin in particular, who was one of the, the, he was like the second writer on it after Roy Thomas. And he wrote some phenomenal storylines that were both, um, rebels versus the empire, but Mm -hmm. also advancing Luke's story really nicely. And those hold up really well, but uh, we nitpicked the continuity like crazy, just like today. Um, (laughs) you know, it was really interesting. We were like, where does Splinter of the Mind's Eye fit in with all this? (laughs) Let alone when Empire came out. Like, I right. very I was like, Splinter of the Mind's Eye never happened. Come on. Yeah. Like, it's it's, it's just a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the, gosh, the, the great granddaddy of Star Wars controversies, I, um, I'll show what a geek I am. In, in Splinter of the Mind's Eye, um, Luke can swim, but Leia can't. And she, like, admits this after nearly drowning yeah. in, like, undersea caverns. Um, and that's like, you know, this kind of moment of weakness that, you know, because she never displays any such weakness. And right about the same time, I think it's um, it's like Star Wars 14 or 15, 
they're on this water world and Luke can't swim and Leia has to drag him to safety. And we were all like, wait, how can these both be true? But, um, you know, but also honestly, it makes no sense that Luke would be able to swim. Like where would he move right. on a desert planet? Yeah. There's right. a pool under the moisture farm. Like really? Yes. A lot of moisture they farmed. <laughs> oh, yeah. actually... oh, my God. We would have playground fights over that one. So yeah, every... nothing is new. That's funny. No. That's Especially fun. not in this fandom. No. <laughs> so who who is your favorite character? Uh, you know, obviously you have an affinity for the Han Solo books. Who is your ultimate favorite character? And has it changed over time? Have you evolved into any any character change? Or has it always been the same from the start? Uh, it's Han. Um, I always say I would have been the worst rebel ever. Because I thought at the end of, of Star Wars that Luke should have gone off with Han and Chewie and been a space pirate. Sweet. Like that yeah. sounded a lot more fun than like taking orders <laughs> as a soldier. Like, why would you do that? Right. You'd be a space pirate. Um, I, it's funny because actually writing Weapon of a Jedi, I was like, I'm going to send myself to Luke boot camp because, um, <laughs> you know, I've been a Han guy. And I yeah. felt in a weird way like I'd never quite understood Luke. And I was like, I got to get this right. Um, which I was really glad I, I did because I came out of that and I was like, I'm still a Han guy, but now I'm on team Luke too. Um, <laughs> Actually, did uh, risk a a, a a discursion. Funny story about that. Um, in that same series was um, Smuggler's Run, I think it is the the Han Solo book yeah. written by the, by Greg Rucka, who's this wonderful writer. And Greg and I are at New York Comic Con on the same panel, and we're sitting there and we're talking about our books. And um, and Mike Siglane of, of of Disney is uh, Disney Luke's film is moderating the panel. And I was explaining how I was a little nervous about it. Cause I wasn't, I was really a Han guy, not a Luke guy. And, and Rucka's sitting next to me and he, he, he looks over and he takes the mic and he has this wonderful deep voice. And he goes, the funny thing is I've always been a Luke guy and not a Han guy. And I was <laughs> like, why did I get this assignment? <laughs> and we're like, huh? And we look over and and Mike Mike Siglane, our boss, is looking at us with this like stunned look on his face. Yeah. And he, he leans over and he's like, Why didn't you two idiots tell somebody? We <laughs> <laughs> just would have switched them. Oh, I knew it would be oh, that yeah, easy to just we both wound up feeling like we were both really happy that we'd kind of expanded our repertoire. So it worked out well. So yeah, it's Han, but I will say that, you know, kind of trilogy by trilogy, I have my favorites. Um you know, for the prequel trilogy, it's Qui-Gon, who I think is just a fascinating yes. character. Awesome, but yeah. He's just such an interesting character. I love reading about. And for the sequel trilogy, I mean, there's so many. I love I love those movies so much. But for me, it's really Finn. Um, yes. Finn is the yes. contents of the story. Um, and just, you know, and this, this extraordinary story of basically this brainwashed child soldier who has the basic morality to say no to all that conditioning and you know and and do the right thing and you know finn's story in particular i hope they do a lot more with that because i mean he's just such a wonderful character that's been mentioned on this show multiple times that is a very popular opinion on this show yeah right so you you mentioned all three kind of eras of Star Wars, and I know you've gotten to write for all three. You did tons of Clone Wars stuff. You did those Rebels books, which I consider to be like original trilogy era, right? It kind of leads right up to it. And then obviously the 
the Last Jedi stuff. So do you have a era of Star Wars that you prefer to write for? I know that you're a, a fan of the original trilogy, um, like as, as a fan, but is there one that you prefer to write stories for? You know, the classic trilogy is always going to be how I'm wired just mm-hmm. from, you know, just from how old I was when I, I came to the fandom. But I mean, you know, any of them work, um, you know, as long as I, I like to say that, you know, I know a project's working if I can kind of close my eyes and hear the John Williams score. Oh. And yes. that's true across eras. And, um, you know, I think that always will be true, particularly, you know, as Star Wars starts exploring some new eras in new canon, too. Very exciting. Um, yeah. So it, it all works for me as long as it's got those essential elements, which, you know, I, Disney and Lucasfilm do a great job of making sure those are always there. You know, I can make it work. Awesome. Awesome. Now you've mentioned your guidebooks and, and the, you know, your, you have an illustrious career there. And those are books that I, I definitely gravitated to, to get as much information as possible. I mean, that's what, that's what Star Wars fans do. We want as much intricate details possible. So putting those together, you know, what kind of, what was your journey there? You know, what what type of interaction did you have with with I guess Lucasfilm? You know, I don't even know. I don't Story even know how those books. Yeah, how do yeah. those books even come about? You know, and uh, what was your favorite one to kind of kind of dive into? Uh, oh, it's got to be the Essential Atlas. Um, awesome. The Essential Atlas is, is literally a dream come true, and I, I am I am actually not misusing literally. I was twelve years old. And I woke up and I had dreamt that I had the Atlas of the Star Wars Galaxy. I had bought it at my local bookstore. And it was that weird thing that happens sometimes where you wake up and you you don't quite track that what happened in the dream didn't happen. And so I was kind of waking up and thinking about my day. And I was like, I'm going to go to school. I have track practice, but it's okay. I'm going to come home and do homework. But then I'm going to you know, geek out with my cool new Star Wars book, which is the book I always wanted, Atlas of the Galaxy. Yeah. And then I realized, I was like, oh my God, no, there is no book. I just oh, no. dreamt that. It doesn't actually exist. And I was crushed. But you know, that book did exist. I just had to grow up. And you had to write it. Dan Wallace. Wow. And I love that. I actually write it. Which that gave me so goosebumps. not what I had in mind and so much more work, but... Uh... <laughs> you did it the hard way, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Dan and I, it was funny, that book got, um, it got stuck behind uh, this expansion of Steve Sansweet's wonderful Star Wars encyclopedia, which eventually became like three volumes. Yeah. And so the book actually got delayed for like a year and a half. And, but Dan and I were delighted. We kept just piling more stuff in it and more information and doing more with it. And, you know, we made way below minimum wage when you totaled the hours. <laughs> sure. Financially ruinous as <laughs> anything else, but we didn't care because for both of us, it was you know a childhood dream come true. But um, yeah, all those books are so much fun. The thing I remember about them, whatever the project is, is you know they're there to support the story, uh, mm-hmm. particularly with a a book that's tied into say a TV show like Clone Wars or uh, the movies like one of the locations or movie books and. So that's job one. And then it's kind of an interesting puzzle piece of trying to figure out, you know, you've got a couple of little bite-sized paragraphs. And one thing I had to, had to learn was that you can really only get one idea across in a paragraph. 
Like if you try yeah. to get too across, you're going to shortchange both of them. And so then in a weird way, the page becomes like a puzzle where you're thinking about, you know, what are the four or five elements you can hit? And then you're thinking about it across the book, like, you know, do I have what the alliance or the resistance is doing with its ships? Do I have the first order strategy, et cetera? Um, so th that's kind of, that's something that's really fun. It's not just writing and being descriptive and evocative, but kind of thinking about um, an entire spread and then an entire book. And the other really fun part about it is that, of course, it's a collaboration uh, with the artist. And, you know, Kemp uh, Remillard and I had a great time working on the sequel trilogy ones. And that was that was just a blast. And, you know, putting together his sensibility and mine and then figuring out how to support each other. That's awesome. I haven't got a chance yet to read your um, Galactic Explorers Guide, but I was really curious to know if you borrowed at all from Ben Burt's Galactic Phrases and uh, Galactic Phrase Book and Travel Guide. Um, that was like my like go-to book as a child. I kept it with me always because I was like trying to learn Wookiee and trying to like speak all the different languages. And I'm just really curious to know if that like influenced your guidebook at all. The tone, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, R.A., the, the cranky um, droid narrator of that mm -hmm. book, who's a complete ripoff of the Mets pitcher R.A. Dickey, by the way. Oh, my God. Familiar. I'm familiar. R.A. DK 43, which was R.A. Dickey's yes. number. Yes. And I threw that in there because R.A. Dickey actually is a huge Star Wars fan. I was like, oh, he might actually <laughs> see this. Absolutely. That's um, awesome. No, I'm, I, yeah, yeah, May, I'm really glad you saw that because, yeah, the tone definitely that would easily work as the Ben Burt. Uh, book and that's such a great book um it is so i love that book fun, but it's also really deep it's got some mm -hmm. really amazing stuff in it um that came out just before the essential atlas and like all the kind of hot trade routes are taking things from uh the ben bird book um yeah that's an amazing book also the sound of sounds of star wars which mm -hmm. is one a lot of slept on is just a that's uh, a great one yeah a a, a um my son was a lot younger and the mother of one of his friends brought it to me and she goes, this book cannot be in my house anymore. It's driving me insane. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I know what that's like. So I, I took it and I thought it was kind of a novelty book and then read it and was like, this is an amazing book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Ben was such a genius. So yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, nobody has made that connection before, so I'm really glad you did. Thank you. Yes. That's awesome. <laughs> Maggie with the deep cut. Yeah, um, I took that with, with me to Batuu, because I was like, I have to, I'm finally going to a Star Wars world. I have to take my guidebook with me. Like, Did you talk yeah, to any of the Batuans? In, um... Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so... I wanted to ask when you are making, uh, when you're working on like the visual dictionary, the encyclopedias and those kind of things, how, how much, um, is, is dictated to you, the, the content that they want in there, um, and how much freedom do you have in, in your interaction with, uh, the story group or whoever for on Lucasfilm's side, um, how, how does that work between you and them? What, what needs to be put into those books? Really depends a lot on the project. Um, for something, if you have, say, a say a locations book uh, tied into a movie, like there, the locations are pretty much going to dictate themselves. Mm -hmm. um, 
Uh, ships are interesting. Often you're figuring out, you, you may have, say, 15 ships and figuring out, like, you know, what are the 10 or 12 we can feature? Um, you know, sometimes you're cutting down like that, where something like, you know, Essential Warfare or Atlas were pretty wide open. That was kind of, you know, here's the focus of the book, do whatever with it, make that work. Um, um, but that's part of the fun of Star Wars is that every project is different and there's such a range. And that's true in, in fiction, too. Um, you know, like Weapon of the Jedi, as I said, where, you know, the basic story was there before it got to me uh, versus, say, the Servants of the Empire series I wrote where, you know, you had the um, the the show producers had come up with kind of the backstory. And I knew we had to um, I knew we had to address Zare's appearances on a couple of episodes. Um, but then the ending of that story was up to me. Um, okay. Or something like a novelization is is a whole other thing, where obviously your job there is to tell the story of the movie, but also then to think about it, think about like what kind of book do that a movie can't, right. uh, and enrich it in that way. So that's part of the fun of it, is that, I mean, every project is different, and there's such a range from you know, pretty absolute freedom within the bounds of telling a Star Wars story in a sensible, responsible way to, you know, 12 vehicles uh, support the yeah. story moving. But, um, you know, but that's great. I, I love the fact that it's not always uh, the same approach. So have you ever have you ever ran with an idea and and then uh, whether that be in a novelization or or in a, in a visual guide or any of those guides that you've done that. Uh, they didn't approve necessarily or that you had to adjust uh, that didn't fall in line with uh, what they thought worked in canon or in the timeline. Yeah, I, it definitely happens. Uh, not, okay. not too often. I mean, I know pretty well what lines to color in, uh, et cetera. Um, the hard part is always just kind of what you don't know, um, mm. you know, for, you know, Force Awakens locations, like how much can, or Ray's survival guide, how much can you dig into Jakku? Like, what do you mm -hmm. maybe not know about what's coming? Uh, you know, th this came up in the novelization. This wasn't something that didn't happen, but I was very careful once Kylo and Ray uh, go their separate <laughs> ways after the encounter in Snoke's throne room, I was very careful not to be in either one of them's heads about what mm -hmm. they thought about mm -hmm. each other, what they thought about the future. Um, Cause I was like, that belongs to episode nine. And, you know, just, but you know, that wasn't somebody telling me not to, I just knew not to go there. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, there, there's some help along the way, like for the last Jedi novelization, you know, I did a little bit of hopefully evocative story backstory about Snoke and how he had gotten to the position he had. And, you know, that I got to have a conversation for like an hour with um, Leland Chi and Pablo Hidalgo, just mm -hmm. kind of sitting in their office, you know, knocking stuff around and having them without telling me things, having them kind of guide me like, yeah, this direction. No, not so much that one. Um so you, yeah, it's, it's, it's always a mix of being, um, you know, of being warned off things occasionally, but also kind of thinking about where the storytelling is going and making sure you don't step on it. Um, one thing that is true in the 
in the kind of new order of things, which is really fun, is a few times I've had um, people say, hey, if you throw in X little detail, that'll be helpful down the line. And sometimes I know that is, and sometimes I don't. Uh, In Moving Target, which I wrote with Cecil Castellucci, they asked for a line which one of the the people in the Rebel crew talks about, like, having learned from, you know, like, tough people who had to do bad things Mm -hmm. uh, for the sake of others. And they, they were like, you know, a line like that would be useful. And then I was like, okay. And then saw Rogue One, and then Cassian gives Jin that speech about like what everyone had through their belly has been through. And I was like, oh, that's what that. <laughs> yeah. All right. That. Yeah. So that can be really fun, particularly when you don't know and you're like, okay, yeah. I've planted yeah. seed. What's going to come up? That's got to be tricky because there's so many things in the works that obviously you would not be privy to plenty of things that are that are happening or going to happen. It is, but you've got a pretty great net uh, between the you know the editors at Lucasfilm who are phenomenal uh, and story group, and you know there's a lot of people who who have your back, and um, mm. you know it's it's one of the great unfairnesses of any kind of writing for uh, for anything, let alone an intellectual property. Is you know you as the writer get your name on the book, but there are so many people who make that happen from editors designers artists you know marketing folks etc um so yeah a lot of people are there to help you that's awesome very interesting so um all the members of this show are uh pretty big fans of uh thrawn we're the thrawn boys (laughs) hashtag and uh so we had a point of contention and i i feel like i can't let uh the writer of the atlas um (laughs) like having a moment with you to to discuss this slip through my fingers um We've noticed in um, <laughs> post EU maps of the galaxy that the there is no longer like a defined spot for the unknown regions and wild space. And we're just we're just wondering if like uh, are those still like to the left of the core in that general area, or do you have any input on that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, I mean Lucasfilm very kindly has always said we use the same map. Um, you know, so the map of the Atlas is is missing things, but not very many things have that were on it have moved. A couple of things have, but you know that that happens occasionally in storytelling. Uh, yeah, so the the unknown regions are still that kind of big blob over there in that kind of left third, which you know maybe doesn't make particular sense as a you know galaxy spanning civilization. But what are you going to do? It's kind of the here be dragons of the old pirate map. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that's still there. Uh, it's funny you bring up Wild Space. Wild Space has always been a problem for Star Wars, though. Um, the original idea of Wild Space was it was little kind of spots all across the map that weren't well explored where anything could happen. So there could be bits of Wild Space in the core, um, you know, kind of all over the map. Um, Dan once compared it to, like, you know, the the weird little bits of, of untamed land between the, like, you know, in the highway cloverleaf. And, like, who knows what interesting yeah. creature might live there. Yeah. Um, but the that kind of has evolved to sort of a border region of the unknown regions, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the reason is that Wild Space is just a cooler name than the unknown regions. And so everybody wants to True. use Wild Space, which I don't blame them for. Um, so yeah, that definition has kind of gotten muddied up over time, but, uh, 
Yeah, but everything's still there. Um, talking about the Atlas, one of the things we didn't define, and a lot of people were annoyed with us, was the the Empire of the Hand from mm. the EU mm. books. Yeah. And that was an example of, of what we just talked about, about, you know, nobody told Dan and I not to do that, but we were like, you know, I got a feeling Tim's going to go back there one day. So let's, the last thing we want to do is step on anything he might either have in mind or, you know, come to that storytelling and decide he wants to do. That's sweet. That's sweet. So to, before we pivot to our next, our next step here, I, I want to ask, cause Justin is one of our other star Wars friends hosts. He can't join us tonight. So he actually had a couple questions he wanted to ask in the same vein, you know, the complete vehicles guide that, that you've worked on. We're interested to know what is your favorite vehicle since you've seen, you know, you've worked on that book. Um, what star Wars vehicle is is your favorite? Oh, it's the Falcon. Oh, it's hands going. <laughs> awesome. Um, it's you know, and the the amazing thing about the Falcon, and this was one of the things that was so much fun about Solo, was you know what is the Falcon? It's a ship. It's kind of the home base, the treehouse. It's a character in its own right. Um, you know, it's so much more than just a vehicle, just a setting. Um, it's always been the Falcon. And I love that every bit of the Falcon has a story attached to it that yeah. you want to know. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, I, um, Falcon has always been the, the, um, the thing I've wanted to dig into, like writing the, the TFA book. I was super excited to, you know, explain everything that had changed and the kind of, you know, idiosyncrasies and was constantly, um, my friends, uh, Ryder Wyndham and Chris Travis and Chris Reif, the Chris army, um, they've done some <laughs> wonderful Falcon books. And, you know, every time they do one, I'm like, I'm like bugging them at a con. I'm like, what about this? What about this? What yeah. about that? And they're like, Oh God, it's you and the Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Along that same line of vehicles, this is another thing that's been hotly debated on Uh-oh. this show. Uh-oh. Um, how do you pronounce oh, the abbreviation yeah, for an all-terrain armored transport? I say ADA. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I yes. love it. I gotta warn you though, anyone who's um, who's counting on me though, I'm like notorious for mispronouncing things. But not so, that one. I think you nailed it. You nailed it. I used to call um, the general um, not Madi, the the uh, the the general gets choked in the novelization of A New Hope. I would call him um, uh, Taj, and Leland Chi finally was like, "How did you get Taj? Like that can't is is tag." And I was like, <laughs> "It can't be tag. It's Taj." And he was like, it, it, "Gigi, like how can that be Taj?" Oh, and eventually I realized it was like I read it when I was eight, and no one said it right. on the screen. Yeah. That's what it was in my brain, and it'll never get out of my brain. So yeah, yeah um. Yeah. So many words in the Star Wars universe like that for me. I'm like, I learned how to read it. I never learned how to hear it. Right. I, I right. relied on the books. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, like, but yeah. But then I'm telling, you know, suddenly, why does Leland Chi have his eyebrow cocked and think I'm an idiot? <laughs> you know, and suddenly you're like, oh yeah, nobody would pronounce it that way. Yeah. Anyway, all I'm saying is that Mark Thompson says ATAT in the audiobooks. Well, that's interesting. To that point, Jason, I had a very brief moment with Timothy's on where the one question I had a chance to ask him was actually how he, as the author, pronounces Joris Sayaboth. Because in my mind, how I read it was totally different. And I can't even 
repeat how beautifully Timothy Zahn repeated the name, like how he said the name to me. It gave me goosebumps to hear the author of that character say that name because, yeah, you're right. I mean, I pronounce a ton of names differently until I actually talk to the authority and the source. Like, yeah, so I feel you on that one. Hi, this is Delilah S. Dawson, your Star Wars friend, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Podcast. Hi, I'm Kyle. Will you be an angel for a helpless baby Yoda? Every day, baby Yoda is chased by bounty hunters and abused by scout troopers, and he's crying out for help. Please click the subscribe button on your screen and join the Star Wars friends with a monthly gift right now. For only 60 calamari flan a month, you'll help rescue baby Yoda from their abusers and provide food, shelter, Jedi training, and Beskar armor. Subscribe now and follow us on Twitter in the next 30 minutes to receive this tweet with a gif of Baby Yoda, who's been given a second chance thanks to you. Baby Yoda needs our help. So please, subscribe, rate, and review right away. This is Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, and you are listening to the Star Wars Friends Show. Do not underestimate the power of this podcast. Hey, this is Dominic Pace, who played Gecko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Happy to be your Star Wars friend. You're listening to the Star Wars Friend Show. We hope you're enjoying this interview with author Jason Fry on the Star Wars Friends. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on and make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. Now, here's one thing that unifies us on this show is it was the last Jedi novelization. And I will tell you that, you know, as a huge avid book reader, I cannot wait to get my hands on those supplemental materials around the movie releases. I'm, I'm just that guy. It's pre-ordered the moment it becomes available. And I'm <laughs> ready for it. I'm, when I get in the mail, I'm, I take the day off work and I just read the whole thing. So The Last Jedi novelization is, is my favorite novelization of, of any movie that has come out. And I, I thought that it was just fantastic. You really, I mean, you painted the pictures for me. And it was so well executed. Um, you know, b- when you write a novelization, especially for something as enormous as, as The Last Jedi, how deeply involved were you? How early on 
did you get your hands on on source material to put that together? Because I can't imagine that it was just like a, a leisurely weekend, you know, sit at the computer. Oh, yeah, I got this down. I mean, you had to have put some effort into this. Um, so what was that process like? How far back did you did you have access to? Were you ever on the set at all? You know, how expansive did that get? Uh, I was never on the set. Um, I, in July, before the book came out, don't ask me what year that was. I can't keep track of what year it is now. Um, in July, I got to go to, out to uh, to Skywalker Ranch and uh, sit down with, with Ryan Johnson, who was just finishing up uh, kind of sound editing on the movie, um, which was one of those days that was kind of just too much at once. I was like, we're at Skywalker Ranch. And I'm going <laughs> to sit down with the filmmaker. Like, you know, like that's like, that's like two amazing months if you separate yeah. them. And now it's, you know, happening in like two hours. Um, and, but Ryan was great. One of the first things he did, which was unbelievably kind of him and something that he in no way had to do was he said, you know, I'm going to give you all the previous major iterations of the script and wow. anything you think would be useful for the novelization, go for it. Um, cause Ryan said as a kid, he had, there were a lot of movies he wanted to see that he wasn't allowed to see and he would devour novelizations. That was his way of getting to, um, uh, of getting to, to be part of that story. And that had been really important to him. So that was unbelievably kind of him. And then, uh, we sat down, I had read the script, I knew the story and we walked through, um, you know, character motivations and where people are what headspace they're in at various points um that was very helpful the other thing he said was hugely helpful not just for that project but for everything i've written since he said that one thing he thought about um as the director was that there was a lot of really kind of fateful stuff that happened and a lot of really weighty things in the movie but his commandment for himself was lift not drag mm. And that he always made sure that pretty quickly after one of those moments, you had a moment of lift to, um, you know, kind of get the audience up in that sort of classic Star Wars Flash Gordon sense. And I, I made that one of my commandments because I think it's really good advice for any storytelling. Lift, not drag. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So all that was great. And then, you know, I just went off and wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Um, it was really kind of a two month sprint. And then doing some, um, you know, doing some some hasty rewrites uh, as we could, really up against uh, production schedule. Um, but you know, that was great of him. And then, you know, he his door was open to me. I actually didn't bother him at all. I don't don't think um, that was for two reasons. One was that I was like, the man just finished making a Star Wars movie. <laughs> probably could use a break. The last thing he needs is some like, you know, naggy writer bugging um, <laughs> him about something. Um, but the other thing was that, you know, Ryan's script for Last Jedi, which I still, I believe still hasn't been published anywhere. Wow. But that script is so rich internally. Mm. Like there's so much about where characters are, what they're thinking, um, which is certainly not true of every script. And that's a lot of what you really needed as a novelization writer, because you can't see it on screen. Um, but it was laid out there for me, and I, I didn't need to go looking for it or guessing at it. Um, and that was a huge help. So, 
yeah, I just, you know, I, I feel, I feel fortunate to have loved that story and, and loved that movie, but it was just, um, it was a great honor to get to try to, um, uh, to express it as a novel, but, um, also a good lesson in that. Like my first, my, when I started off, I, I kind of sat myself down and had a little chat with myself and I said, <laughs> this is Ryan's story. You know, he's not just the director, he's the writer. And the way I looked at it was he would write this novelization if he had time, but he doesn't. And so I'm going to do it. But, you know, I immediately was like, you've got to take your ego out of this. This is his story and you're being trusted in bringing it uh, into book form. And, you know, take take yourself out of it. And anytime I thought about, you know, adding something to it, I would stop myself and be like, is this here because it deepens the story uh, and it's helpful to that story? Or is this here for you? Yeah. And mm. there are a couple, but for the most part, I think I did pretty well with that. Mm. So you mentioned that he gave you access to all the previous versions of the scripts. Um, can you think of anything specifically <laughs> that you did pull from one of those previous versions oh, that, that you found useful? Well, oh. I'm not an idiot guys, but thank you for recognizing. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything from one of those previous scripts that you really did use? Uh, a lot of it was little, um, little lines of dialogue. Um, okay. like there was a lot more kind of, um, uh, back and forth between Finn and Rose, who I just loved getting to spend more time mm-hmm. with. Um, uh, that was the, in terms of concepts, no, but there was a really, I, we got to include all the deleted scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fun. Yeah. Was, We've talked about those on yes. the show and how yes. the, the, I think the phasma and the third lesson both specifically could have added a, a lot to the story. I think, I think it's a shame they got left on the floor. Yeah. The, gosh, the, the, um, actually there was one, the, in the, um, in the deleted scene we did get does not have Luke and Ray doing the kind of father daughter dance, mm. um, which is in the novelization. That was mm. one I kept because I thought it was just such an interesting mm-hmm. kind of strange moment. Um, uh, I liked that. I kept that. Um, there was one we tried to do that got cut at the very last minute. And I mean, seriously, the book was done. And then they were like, nope, we got to change this. Um, there's an earlier version where um, Finn and Rose actually link up with the master codebreaker and get drawn into like his kind of, um, his kind of, uh, what's the great Cary Grant, uh, Grace Kelly, To Catch a Thief? Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Well, To Catch a Predator is the new thing with the... So yes, yeah, probably anyway, to catch this, this, Yeah, they get drawn into one of his papers, and then it all yeah. goes wrong super quickly, and he gets hauled off to jail, etc. It's the same. They definitely didn't have time for that. Yeah, it's the same record scratch moment that you yeah. get in the movie, but just um, a little differently. Mm. And but I loved the original scene and really wanted to do it. And I said to Ryan, like, let's do that version instead. That would be really fun and really different. And he was like, Yeah, that sounds fun. And so I did it that way. And then literally the very end, um, they Lucasfilm was like, like, hey, let's not depart from the movie in like, you know, an important scene 
this way. And, wow. you know, they were right about that. They were absolutely right about it. I was like, yeah. but I was like, yeah, you're right. That's not what a novelization should do. But yeah. I still mourn that one a little and keep hoping like maybe someday we can do it as like material in the back of a new edition or in the inside or something. Cause it was such a fun scene. How about oh, a choose yeah. your own adventure? That could be yes, one of the uh, choices. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's a great right. Idea. There you go. <laughs> Piggybacking off that was the kind of the allusion to Cammie, um, who is from the deleted scenes and a new hope. Was she that reference to her something that was in previous versions of the script or something that you personally wanted to add into the, the Luke? That was me. That was um, and there, there's a rabbit awesome. hole there. Awesome. Um, it's a great rabbit hole. <laughs> thanks. Um, that started in a really weird way. I'd had that idea for a story kicking around. I wanted this really quiet what if where Luke never left Tatooine, um, you know, married married Cammy, who I always pronounce Cammy, by the way, which <laughs> is probably not right. But again, read it when I was eight. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I wanted yeah. this very kind of yeah. quiet apocalypse where everything seems fine, but you quickly realize how badly wrong everything has gone for the galaxy and for mm-hmm. Luke. Um, but I could never figure out where that story went. Like, what was it? And so it just kind of bugged mm-hmm. me for years. Um, so then we got to Last Jedi, and I, had, I was thinking about a couple of things. Um, one was that I wanted to start with Luke on the island. Um, I wanted us to go back, because I knew, like everybody else, like I was really burning to see what happens um, when Ray ex- offers him the saber, but also what had he been doing? What had he been up to? And so I thought an interesting way to do that was to go back. Um, that was one. And I had another problem that we really want to be in Luke's head and understanding mm-hmm. what he's thinking, what he's going through. But The Last Jedi is Ray's story. It's not Luke's story. Ray, uh, Luke is the, is the riddle she's trying to solve. And so from the novelization point of view, I had to stay in Ray's head. I had to stay on her shoulder. And if I went into Luke's head, um, at least before she left the island, that would work against the story. So that was frustrating. And so I thought, well, the way I can do that is to start earlier. That'll let us scratch that what has he been up to itch, and it'll let us be in his head a little bit until we have to stop and go kind of on Ray's shoulder. Um, But then there was a third thing. And one of the things I I just love about Ryan's story is the way the force is almost a character in its own right. We have a sense of its will, what it's trying to do, um, how it's acting on people, how it's, you know, goading them or being refused. And I thought to myself, you know, there's no way the force is going to let Luke Skywalker cut himself off. The Force isn't going to take that lying down. It's going to keep trying to get to him and, you know, get a message to him. And the message it's telling him is you've made a mistake. Like the galaxy needs you. Um, And so then suddenly all that came together. I thought, well, when are we most vulnerable? And the answer is in dreams. That's where we're most suggestible. Our defenses are down. And then suddenly it came together and that, old idea I'd had about Tatooine actually fit really well. Like, here's the Force reaching out to Luke in a dream, and it's really the same thing. Like, the the Luke of that sequence has never left Tatooine. He's had this kind of lonely, pla- but placid life, and it seems like 
everything is fine, but it's not. He's made this terrible mistake. Um, and so I thought about it and then I kind of put that aside because yeah. it had been my idea. And I was like, was that for you or was that for the story? And I was like, no, that works. That really works. And so I just went for it. And as an added benefit, I knew it had a killer first line of the book, which will get people. <laughs> is always a good thing. I, I really loved that opening of um, the novelization and it made me think of Luke being called to the light, which is something that um, Kylo Ren said in, in the force awakens mm-hmm. about how he's fighting that call to the light. And, and that's, that felt to me like that's what was happening to Luke in his dreams is he's being pulled towards the light because the yeah. force is willing him to you know, stand up for what's right. And uh, I thought that was really cool to bring that kind of full circle with the family, with the story. Oh, um, cool. I appreciated that. The the scariest scene of that book though, was Luke passing yeah. into the force. I was mm-hmm. like, I had this Excel spreadsheet mm. of all the beats, all the scenes of the book from the script, uh, cut scenes, um, you know, things we were, we were adding in, et cetera. And it was funny. I knew exactly how far I was from that scene the whole time. And cause I was, I was so nervous about it. I was like, this is Luke Skywalker. I've got to get this right. Um, and I was so stressed about it. And the yeah. day finally came to do that scene. And the funniest thing happened. I was in and out of it in like 15 minutes. And I looked over it and I was like, yeah, that works. Wow. And I was like, what happened? I was like, I'm not wow. that good. Like what happened? <laughs> but I realized what it was is that I'd been writing it in my head the entire mm-hmm. time mm-hmm. and like the subconscious had been working on it. And so when I got there, like the little elves in the engine room were like, yeah, we got this. We we've, we've been doing this for weeks. So that was a really funny experience. Hmm. I I noticed wow. early wow. sorry, I okay, noticed so, earlier you mentioned ahead, something John. about um, Jedi and how that brings us those themes of of um, the Jedi Order and refusing to fight and Luke throwing down his saber at the end of the movie and all those things and um, it, uh, that feels the same to me as that beat you were just talking about um, where Luke projects himself and ultimately uh, you know becomes one with the Force because of it and was that something that you really appreciated. Did you love that ending for Luke? I know you didn't come up with that idea, but that is a polarizing um, opinion. Did you think that was a, a great send off for Luke? Is that how you would have done something like that yourself? One thing I had to remind myself, um, it was funny when last Jedi came out and yeah, there were, there was a range of opinion about it. That's, that's <laughs> fair to say. Um, it's not a controversial film. <laughs> no, I, I was kind of, I was kind of taken aback by that. But then I, re- then I remembered something when I had first read the script, my first reaction was kind of, huh. And I was like, I need to think about that. And I really did. I needed to go off and kind of sit with it for a couple of weeks. Um, and then I, then I came around to it and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it and appreciated it. And so remembering that I was like, you know, you need, everybody deserves that time and deserves that chance. And, you know, some people never came around to it and Hey, that's okay. But some people did. And I was actually really, I was happy the novel, the novelization came out in March. I wasn't happy at the beginning. I certainly wasn't. Because that wasn't, I didn't know that was the original plan. But I wound up being really glad for that because I thought it was the right amount of time for people to had kind of gone through that process 
uh, and to be able to have another way of coming into the story, um, having thought about it some. So, so I thought that was helpful. Um, no, it's funny. I mean, you know, the the great line in in that movie is, this is not going to go the way you think. Because mm-hmm. it's true. The movie doesn't go the way you think. It's a really confounding movie for a, a you know, big budget popcorn space adventure. Yeah. Um, but the thing that yeah. makes it work for me is it's that great exchange where, you know, Luke kind of scornfully tells Ray, like, did you think I was going to go out and face down the <laughs> tire first order with a laser sword? And in the end, that's exactly what he does. Yeah. And it doesn't matter that he's not actually physically there. That's what he does. And um, yeah, it, you know, it's okay if it doesn't work for some people, but it absolutely worked for me. And I just, I love that story. And I think more and more of the world will, will come around to it uh, as time goes on. Yeah, and Some I'm people one of on this show have come around. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm one yeah. of those people, Jason. You don't have to sure. sell it to me. I love that shit. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. yeah. it was my favorite one. <laughs> it, it took a little bit of time for me to come around, and it really took just talking with people, different perspectives, and, and those type of things. It wasn't that I necessarily um, disliked the story itself. I think just as a sequel trilogy as a whole, I had a, a lot of issues with personally, <laughs> and um, you know, coming along, coming around to Luke's arc. Just, just recently, really has given me. I'm having getting goosebumps right now talking about my emotions about this and seeing his development over, you know, that story. It's just really he is he is demonstrating the pure Jedi, you know, mantra, the the pure Jedi code. And I didn't see that the first time around. I didn't see that the second or third time around. You know, it really took me uh, some time to digest it. And uh, hey, I came around. I'm one of those people. I'm coming around to it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I still have friends I'm trying to talk it through with. It's okay. That's what we're here for. It's a little bit of therapy sometimes. That's all right. Um, and we are going to be doing a last Jedi dissection here on our show soon where we're going to do, if you want to come back, Jason, you're welcome to join (laughs) us. Right. right. Sure. So, So Jason, I got a few more questions for you. And, um, one thing that you mentioned, I wanted to touch on this and you already kind of elaborated was your dream project. And then you also hit the other, what if, you know, a what if story. We talk about what if stories all the time. The one that comes to mind most recently was what if Qui-Gon lives, right? So is there a, have you think as a, as a creative mind, do you think about what ifs often, or is there, is there one, what if that if that happened, it would completely change or, or, um, maybe, I don't know, improve, whatever, whatever scenario would go. Is there a what if scenario in, in your Star Wars headcanon that you would like to see happen? Oh, goodness. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I, I did get a prologue out of the, for the novelization out of one. Um, yeah. Yeah, Qui-Gon is, Qui-Gon is, is an interesting one. Um you know, what if the Jedi had figured out the Sith plot a little sooner? That's an interesting yeah. one. Yeah. Um, it seems like they maybe could have. Yeah. <laughs> They're close. They're close. Um, you know, Luke going off to the Academy would be an interesting mm. one. Like, um, you know, that's, that's sort of in a way Wedge Antilles story. Um, yeah. But that could be really, that could be really fun. But, you know, I also just, I love... I do love kind of taking those as moments within a non what if story. Um, there was one, I wrote a short story called the, the levers of power. It's a Ray Sloan story during the battle of Endor where the real, um, 
fun of that story was um, it uh, it centered around an idea from from my um, from my Del Rey editors, which was what if the key line is Sloan saying, "Recall the ties." Mm. And nobody expects she's going to say that, mm. and that's what she says. And the story turns on that. And I was like, "Wow, that's a that's yeah. an interesting thing. How do we make that line pay off?" And the w- way I did it in the story was that um, this was was taken from John Jackson Miller. Is is, is Sloan has learned from you know uh, Count Vidian, who's constantly looking for kind of the fulcrum around which events turn. And so she takes that and sees the fulcrum of the battle and everything that's going to unfold and suddenly realizes that, that she and her star destroyer are going to be needed elsewhere. Like it's lost. And she says, recall the ties, but there was, I kind of stopped the story there for this moment where she kind of lets her mind spin forward and sees everything unfold and then comes back. Hmm. And that was a lot of fun. So yeah, that, that's a, something interesting to play with is stepping out of a story, picking a chance to step out of a story and see if you can, get somewhere richer, more interesting that way. Yeah. Kind of going off that, I just put out my review for the Clone Wars stories of the light and dark today. Um, I finished reading it over the weekend. I wanted to know what it was like getting a chance to write Yoda's perspective. I mean, that was such a fun story to kind of explore where he was at, at that specific moment. So how was that? That was a a bucket list thing. I had never gotten to do uh, Yoda, except for the little bit in the Last Jedi novelization. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, no, that was amazing. And um, one of my favorite books from the EU is uh, Sean Stewart's, I think it's Dark Rendezvous. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's, He's such a phenomenal writer, and he has some really amazing passages where he's in Yoda's head and lets us know what, what that's like. And that, that's something I wanted to get the sense of, you know, having done this for centuries and, mm-hmm. you know, and the, but also just the, the, the appreciation of, of life that he has with the kind of baby knee brace on his finger or thinking about the clones as individuals. So yeah, that was a huge fun one. I mean, the big one still on my bucket list would be a, a Han book and maybe now that we have some interesting territory like han after he's gone off again with chewy and yes. you know yes. left yes. His family and you know that'd be really interesting terrain to explore that would be yeah that's right up my alley <laughs> would be first yeah, line seriously. for that book uh so one last eu question because i you made me think what is one thing you want to see from the eu put into whether it be film, live action, television, or even um, a video game? What is something you want to see visualized from the EU currently? Uh, it actually ties into the Han stuff I was talking about. Um, it was just um, the huts. Mm. Like, there are some really, we did some of this in the Essential Atlas, but there are a bunch of other really wonderful sources that did it. Like hut space, I mean, it's kind of like the Mordor of Star Wars. Like. Um, <laughs> You know, just hut space and hut society is is so much fun. I mean, they're just they're just evil and bad and just not. You know, Star Wars is about redemption, but they're not really redeemable. You just gotta you know put the put the chain around their necks and squeeze hard and, and <laughs> make the galaxy right. a better place. Um, so yeah, I mean the 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 Han book I've thought about would be bumping up against them once again uh, in ways we haven't seen before. 
Um, or the other thing on my bucket list is I would, I've always wanted to do kind of a, a Patricia Highsmith talented Mr. Ripley Java mm. story where okay. Java is the protagonist and oh. it's not good. And you know, put the reader <laughs> in that weird place of, of rooting for the bad guy. Right. That'd mm. be a lot of fun. Awesome. Awesome. So We've talked a lot about your writing. Uh, there are many facets to being a Star Wars fan. You just happen to be a writer in this universe, which is it's something that we all dream of. You, you have lived yes. this incredible uh, journey. Uh, but the other facet of being a Star Wars fan, are you a collector? What, and what do you collect if you are? Oh, yeah. Oh, goodness, yeah. Um, the books, I think, I mean, we needed to do this for the Alice, but I think I have every Star Wars thing that's ever been written. Wow. Um, I mean, there's so many planets you got to track down, but oh god, action figures too. I had a full set of the old Kenner ones, which I I, um, I sold off to a friend of mine. But I have you know all the modern new figures. Um, if we were doing video, I would like turn the camera and you can see yeah. like the I shelf. Mean, you can running. show us, but <laughs> <laughs> the, the shelf anything... running from uh, Solo and Rogue One through the. Um, the classic trilogy and the sequel trilogy. And, and I think very deeply, they're all in like character order of appearance and all sorts awesome. of you know, OCD geeky stuff. And Oh yeah. I just, I, I love all that stuff. I definitely have the, the collector's mentality, baseball cards and Oh my God, you name it too many collections. Do you have a particular figure that you really was, you looked for for a long time or is a favorite or really stands out to you that's in your collection? Uh, for the new stuff, I'm really excited. They're doing a, a cheer at Imway who actually has yeah. all these points of articulation. Like yeah. it was so sad to have a little salt shaker cheer it. I was like, that's not the way he works. He's got to be able to do stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no surprise. It's like every Han figure. I mean, I had the, the classic Han figures as a kid and now, I mean, Hasbro has done some of their best work and right and, uh, mm-hmm. i mean it's kind of amazing you can make a little you know a little figure that's the size of your finger and somehow be like yeah that's han solo that totally yeah. gets the swagger it's kind of it's kind of remarkable yeah and you know i mentioned that i was born in the 80s and i'm, I'm from the novel generation but i i am a diehard kenner collector and i'm close to completing the entire line including the mini rigs and everything i see I the had, stuff behind you yeah yeah oh yeah I, I i am a diehard kenner guy and i'm fascinated to know what was your favorite kenner figure growing up and do you did you collect all the way through return of the jedi did you ever have any of those like imperial dignitary and warrock some of the weird figures that people don't like but i love uh, did they ever get that far in your collection? Yeah, I had turned 14 and I was mean and hard and, you know, wasn't going to buy toys anymore, which lasted like three years. And then I was like, I got to get all that stuff. But then <laughs> it's gone, which is too bad. I, I would say I would make a, I would have made a fortune, but I opened everything. And so I wouldn't have. Um, oh, gosh, my favorites were um, the Boba Fett was extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and love Boba you know, Fett. Josh oh, is pleased God. with that, that answer. He's a personal favorite of mine. We, yeah, that's a lie. <laughs> well, I, but I love Boba Fett. Boba Fett's I one of my too. favorite. Yeah, I, I mean the Boba Fett canon right over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great uh, figure. A super nerd, though. The greatest combination was. Um, I mean, I always wanted the figures they didn't make, which is one reason I was so happy about the 
the modern figures. I wanted a Rebel Fleet Trooper and a Tarkin, and I wanted yes. Luke from the end of the first movie. Yeah. Because otherwise, all Luke, for three years, Luke was either in his farm boy rags, and I was like, he didn't wear those anymore, or <laughs> he was in his flight suit. So yeah. So my favorite thing was when Empire came out, you could pop the heads off the figures, and I would pop Bespin Luke's head off and put him on the Imperial Commander. So awesome. Luke was constantly undercover in like that cool, yes, black cool. imperial uniform. So I love that. That's great. That's great. So yeah, we are we are huge collectors on this show. We all collect different things. Uh, Justin, who's on uh, one of our other hosts, he's not on the show right now. He collects a lot of vehicles, black series figures. What's your favorite black series figure that that you have? I just bought. Um, I don't really do the black series that much. I'm really a three and three quarters guy. Yeah. But I had, I somehow missed, there was a wedge Antilles who looks yeah. exactly like Dennis Lawson. And I was like, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. You can guess like 15 minutes later. I was like on Amazon. I was like, bring yeah. that to my house right now. Yes. <laughs> have it. And, uh, that's a figure I keep picking up and, but again, it's because, you know, I wanted, gosh, in 1979, I wanted a Wedge Antilles figure so badly. And I yeah. eventually did accept they weren't going to make one. So every time something like that, that scratches that childhood itch, like shows up, I'm, I'm all over it. Awesome. One of, the, one of the weirdest things on that line, you mentioned figures that you want, always wanted but didn't exist. Did you see that they're coming out with the Black Series 6-inch Snowspeeder and included is a 6-inch Dac Ralter figure? Like oh he gets gosh. his yes, he gets his own packaging and everything. So, yeah. Speaking of obscure figures that I'm sure every child uh, during the '80s wanted, uh, we finally get that Dak Ralter figure coming. Hey, Star Wars friends! It's Josh, your favorite Star Wars friend, and the resident John Williams one percenter. Do you want to be a John Williams one percenter like me? Well, here's a piece of John Williams trivia to help you push up your glasses at the other 99%. Did you know that John Williams has 52 Academy Award nominations in his career to date? The only other person with more nominations is some guy named Walter Disney? Never heard of the guy. Make sure to stay on target and listen to the Star Wars Friends podcast every week for more John Williams content. enjoying this interview with author Jason Fry on the Star Wars Friends. Subscribe to the Star Wars Friends for weekly episodes featuring the latest news, in-depth analysis, fan questions, and conversation on all things Star Wars. If you're enjoying the Star Wars Friends, please leave us a review on whatever podcast app you're listening on and make it a great one. Now, back to the Star Wars Friends. We have a rule. I live in a Brooklyn apartment which is not big. And so we have a, we had a no vehicles rule for yeah. years. And the only one I broke it for was when Hasbro redid the Millennium Falcon, like properly mm. sized with everything. Yeah. I was like, I have to have that. You, you just, you don't understand. And my <laughs> wife was like, okay, fine. And I went and bought it at Toys R Us and they like bound it up with like, you know, like a, a handle so you could carry it. Oh it was, yeah. And I went to Shake Shack in Madison Square Park 
to get a burger and was just sitting there with this thing. And like <laughs> at least a dozen people came up to me and they were like, can I look at that? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, I had that as a kid. And I was like, I get it. I get it. And they were like, but this isn't what we had as a kid. This is like amazing. And I was like, yeah, yeah you could. I think I probably, you know, I made Hasbro like a thousand bucks easy. Just <laughs> so yeah, that I broke the no vehicles rule for that one because it was just too great. Justified. Yeah. Justified. Yeah. Well, unlike Gus, you can say, oh, honey, this is for work. You know, this is for <laughs> right. work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I really need to know the ins and outs of the Falcon research. for this book I'm writing. Yeah, yeah it's research. It's research. I can't so, do that. J- Jason, <laughs> I, we, you, we have one more segment on today's show, which is our word association game, which I cannot wait to play with you. But before we get into that, is there anything that you want to promote or anything that you want to share for our listeners to go check out or um, a website you want to drop or a charity that you're supporting at this time? Uh, you should come see me on Twitter. I'm Jason C. Fry. I'm not Jason Fry. The, he's a he's a um, like mobile programmer in the UK, who's <laughs> actually knows a lot about Star Wars and is much better looking and nicer than me. Oh so follow him too. But I'm not him. <laughs> um, for you know, in terms of work, uh, Maggie already mentioned it. I have a story in the upcoming uh, Clone Wars anthology, which is a lot of fun. There are so many great writers in that. I hope people check out and um, and uh, another story I can't talk about quite yet coming a little down the road, but we'll get there. Um, But the other thing is, you know, I I hope, I hope folks who have enjoyed what I write for star Wars should uh, check out Jupiter pirates, my other series uh, Mm -hmm. for HarperCollins. There are three books out so far. Um, I swear one day I will finish this series. Um, (laughs) It's about a family of space pirates in the 29th century. The mother is the captain and the kids are midshipmen together, uh, but they're competing to be the next captain. So it's got sibling rivalry and space pirates and buried treasure and battles and, you know, people who say are and all those good things. And uh, it's not Star Wars, but it's got a lot of Star Wars DNA. And I pretty much guarantee that that you'll like it. So give that a shot. That's awesome. Right. That's great. That's great. So. This word association game, it's going to be right up your alley. You I am are, terrible uh, at these. Uh, you were, you're going you're gonna to be <laughs> crystal like it even more then. <laughs> so every one of our guests plays this game. And uh, listen, there's no right or wrong answers. There's none. This is just whatever comes in your mind. You are an incredibly well-rounded authority on Star Wars, so you shouldn't have any issue with anything we have on this list. But really, you're making it worse. No, (laughs) everyone gets at least a hundred. So anything less than that is very embarrassing. Uh, So to kind of give you a little insight, we got 35 Star Wars person, places or things on here. None of which are controversial or get anyone in any hot water. It's pretty, pretty softball stuff. A couple obscure things for you. I did change a couple of things in here because I know your depth of knowledge. But you have about a minute and 15 seconds to try to get through as many of these as possible. You just say whatever comes to your mind, and I'll go to the next one. One One word. word. Uh, To give you an idea, Kevin Cabral, he was our last guest. He is this uh, viral TikTok sensation. He does all the Star Wars voices. He's incredible. I think he got, I think, 18 out of 32. So he's... He fell behind Dominic Pace, actor from The Mandalorian. So now Kevin Cabral, if you get more than 18, you're in good shape. You're in good shape. Now, our... Sorry, Kevin. Apparently Sorry, Kevin. Well, Kevin, well, Kevin and I are tight. We're good. We're good. He... <laughs> but with Maggie, Maggie was actually uh, a guest at one time before she became a permanent host. She actually had 28. 
So Ooh, 28 wow. is the top spot to beat. Wow. You gotta beat okay. me. Uh, Delilah S. Dawson, uh, she came in with 21, but she also provided us with a lot of um, impersonations, impressions uh, along the way. So it was a journey with Delilah. Uh, It was a little wild. So what you're going to hear, this is going to be I feel bad for the amount of pressure you're putting on him right now. There's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. Uh, My best advice is just one word. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. The the fun part is, here's the music that's going to play behind this. A little bit of baseball organ. Nothing crazy. Nothing crazy. So what I'm gonna go ahead and restart that. Mm. Jason, are you ready to play the word association game? Let's do it. Alright, cool. So in five, four, three, two, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Alec Gibbs. Princess Leia. Cinnamon buns. Boba Fett. No rocket included. <laughs> X-Wings. Coolest ship ever. Jabba the Hut. Oh, shooter. <laughs> Pizza <laughs> the Hut. Mel Brooks is a genius. Yes. Ahsoka Tano. <laughs> Ashley Eckstein, the best ambassador Star Wars has ever had. Hell yeah. Preach. Kylo Ren. Adam Driver can do anything. Yeah, that's right. Finn. Conscience of the sequel trilogy. DL44 Blaster. Better and hokey religions and ancient weapons. <laughs> yes. Dave Filoni. Uh, great hope, great storyteller. Star Wars in his heart. Star Destroyers. Ah, oh, the, the best arrowhead, mile long, whatever it is that <laughs> you don't want to see in your rearview mirror. Right. Cara Dune. Cara Dune. Ah. Oh. The man, the Mandalorian. What's behind the helmet at last? Disney Plus. It's the place to get Star Wars. Gotta have it. Carl Weathers. Carl Weathers. Oh my goodness. Um, the man is the man is a rock. Can't wait to see what's next. There you go. All right, we got through it. Uh, I was actually very close. We were very close to hitting R five D four. So as a bonus, R five D four. Skippy the Jedi droid. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'm so happy that picked up momentum again on on social. I've seen a lot of people posting about R5 uh, recently. I'm not really sure why, but it's definitely, I've come across my feed lately. Um, Oh, well, I see that Maggie was adding this up as we were going through. How many answers did Jason Fry get through here? I believe it is 15. I'm doing a a second count. He gave... Way more like actual yeah, answers gets- than anybody <laughs> else. More points, like, bonus usually, points. people are like Han Solo, Guy, uh, Jump of the Hut, <laughs> Slug. Uh, it's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. That, my quantitative is poor, but hopefully, my qualitative was okay. Oh, yes. quality was through the roof. Absolutely. <laughs> I, we had so, a couple other on here, like the holiday special. You mentioned the holiday special earlier. Uh, what are your What are your true feelings on the holiday special? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. Uh, See, here's the thing. Like, I never thought Harrison Ford would come back to Star Wars. Um, To say nothing about coming back twice for Rise of Skywalker, which was, you know, I think one of the more universally beloved um, moments in a a, a also perhaps range of opinion movie. Hmm. Um, Anyway, but the reason, what does this have to do with the holiday special? For years, it just drove me insane that the only other place to see Harrison Ford as Han Solo was this just awful travesty where, you know, everybody 
with the exception of Mark Hamill, who's, you know, just always the best hearted guy in the room, but where everybody else like does their bit, like, like they're down jet pilot forced to read some horrible screed, like into the camera, you know, with their captors pointing guns at them. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, that's what we have of Han Solo besides the movies. (laughs) So, um, yeah, none of it is good. Not, no, there's an absolutely amazing review back in the day that ran in Salon, though. It's it's mm. a review of the holiday special that I I go back and find about every six months because it still makes me laugh every time, which um, talks about it's the line is it's the kind of experience after which you want to lie down in the road. <laughs> oh and I'm like, yeah, pretty much. If people say the cartoon is good. The cartoon is not good. No, the no. cartoon is better than everything around it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well but, said. Yeah. I mean, oh my, and if you can get through Carrie Fisher's song, mm. like, I just, I, when I'm always like behind the couch in the fetal position. Like, <laughs> yeah. I still love it though. Like people, people who haven't heard about it are so excited and they're like, oh, it's going to be fun. Like, it's going to be great. And I'm like, I'm always like, you're not going to get through 25 minutes. No. You're just not. And then no. they, they come back looking at you like, I don't know, like, like you did warn me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I may give the holiday special a little bit too much credit, but I'm also a crazy person. So uh, I, I've, I've honestly never heard anyone compare the acting to that of uh, POWs though. So that was, <laughs> Wow! Harrison Ford is under duress. <laughs> yes, this is very true. Oh. This is very true. Blink so, twice geez. if you need help. Yes. Now, uh, Jason, we'll stick around with us for just a few more minutes because sure. we're going to blow this thing and go home. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. I got a really good feeling about this. That's it. That's a wrap. That's a wrap on interview with author Jason Fry. Not to be confused with Jason Fry, the the UK programmer. Is that right? That's right. So you can find Jason Fry at Jason C. Fry on Twitter. And he is a fantastic follow on Twitter. I followed you for years. And uh, yeah, man, you speak from the heart. There's a lot of questions I would love to ask you personally uh, that might be a little controversial, but on the Star Wars Friends, we kind of, we we, we have a moderate discussion here. We're open to all opinions and we celebrate everybody's opinions on the show, but I I would really love to, uh, you know, continue conversations with you as our journey through Star Wars goes on. I would love to have you back on the Star Wars Friends show and dissect, you know, this this secret project you got coming out when it comes out. We'd like to uh, explore that with you. And, uh, you know, we may drop by and, and ask you a couple questions about The Last Jedi when we do our recap. So uh, this is a dream episode for me. You're an author that I respect. You you literally do something that I can only dream about. And uh, you, you are humble throughout the whole, you know, the whole process. And, and you are a, a great ambassador to Star Wars. So I appreciate you being on the Star Wars Friends today. Um, 
man, thank you very much. And I hope that anyone listening checks out all of Jason's uh, work. As he mentioned, you know, you can find his work, jasoncfry.net, I believe is your website as well. Uh, uh, jasonfry.net. Yeah. Jasonfry.net. There we go. So thank you again. Uh, it really means a lot that you joined us today. Oh, thank you. It was such a blast. Great questions. Great discussion. I really appreciate you making uh, time for me. Thank you so much. I I love to see uh, lifelong fans get in these creative positions in Star Wars. So uh, we're happy that you made it and we're happy to see you there. Absolutely. And go Mets. If the season ever comes back, I'll be thinking of you uh, if baseball comes back on. So very cool. If you if you have uh, anything you want to add into the conversation, or you listen to today's episode and you want to uh, send in a question to our show, you can send it at show at starwarsfriends.com. You can hit us up on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at SW Friends Show. You can find me on Twitter at no one is Chris. Where can they find the rest of you? This is Josh, and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Battle of Tanab. This is Kyle, and I am KB underscore Legend on Twitter and Instagram, whatever else. And this is Maggie, and you can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. Fantastic. Well, with that being said, it's been a blast. Thank you, everybody. We're going to end this in the normal fashion. May the Force be with you. Always. Always. Later. Hey, friends. Don't forget to subscribe to the Star Wars Friends podcast and leave an awesome review on whichever podcast app you're listening on. Catch up on past episodes, fun interviews, and more at StarWarsFriends.com. Connect with the Star Wars Friends on social media at SW Friends Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email the show at show at StarWarsFriends.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, may the Force be with you.